Welcome in to edition four of All About the Future, my podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Ryder. I bring in people every single edition just to talk about some of the young prospects around the world of sports, all sports all around the world. Today, I bring in baseball expert, Dominic Stern. How's it going, buddy? I'm doing great, Ethan. Thank you for having me on. Uh, it's a lot of talk around baseball right now, so it's good to it's good to focus on the players and uh, actually some accomplishment on the field. Yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. I will say just a disclaimer for anyone listening. One, I know nothing about baseball. That's why we have Dominic Stern in here. I'm definitely trying to learn something that I really want to learn. I've, I've even talked to some friends. I'm going to learn even maybe this summer. We'll see. And second, I'm in Alaska, so anything that you hear that Dominic Stern might sound weird, just blame it on me because my Wi-Fi is not the greatest. So if he says anything weird, just blame it on me. It doesn't matter what it is. But we're going to power yeah, through it anyways. If I say anything dumb, if I say anything dumb, it's still the Wi-Fi's fault. So oh, yeah. Just, just of course. That. Of course. That's the point here. Anything he says that you disagree with, anything that seems weird, dumb, anything like that, it's my fault. It's the Wi-Fi's fault. We'll blame that. But first off, if you want to, get like let's get a little just talk about we're going to have to get you know, elephant in the room, MLB is not playing right now. So what are your thoughts on that whole thing happening? Well, you know, you're right. It is the elephant in the room. There's no way we're going to get across talking about baseball without discussing it. And so basically the MLB owners and the MLB players are fighting on how the 2020 season is going to be played because unlike all of the other sports that were going on when the coronavirus happened, the MLB season was yet to get started. So sports like basketball and hockey, they were in the very end of their season. So all they had to do was just come up with how the postseason was going to be played. But now without any fans coming into any of the games for the entire MLB season, paying the players became significantly more difficult. And so because of that, the owners and the players have had a disagreement with how the owners will be paying the players. So that the end up seeing too much season because there's no way they're going to be able to make profits this season but the owners are kind of blackballing the players and they aren't they hadn't been giving them any good offers on how they were going to make money this season and then the commissioner of the MLB in baseball Rob Manfred under an agreement that they struck at the end of March he has the power to just start a season and the players can't strike so the players had to play it. But the owners were afraid that the players would would file a grievance against the MLB for not negotiating in good faith, and the owners would basically lose a bunch of money from that on top of the losses from the season. So they ha- they've, they've been collaborating a little bit more, the players' union and the owners, but they still haven't been able to agree on anything. It seems like the players might want to accept the 60 game offer that the that the owners gave to the union on Tuesday but time's running out they need to come up with something soon it's just really frustrating as a fan to see the players get caught up over money and the owners just unwilling to back off and they won't they because the owners get all the benefits from a good season but now they're they're unwilling to take the losses from a bad season it's it's a very sad state for baseball. You know, all these other sports, they're, they're not finding ways to have their season over coronavirus and health stuff, but baseball can't do it over money. It's just not a good look for a sport that's 
already not as popular you know like you said you're you're not a huge baseball fan like if baseball doesn't come back this year you might just never watch it again other people are like you do in that sense yeah that sounds like a really sticky situation anything that i have been able to look at and it gave me kind of a thought that was more of a generic american sports thought that I, I personally, you know this, I'm a soccer guy. And so a lot of the big soccer leagues are over in Europe in different countries. And they didn't seem to have that much of a problem with it. There was maybe a couple players that came out and said they didn't really want to play. They thought it might be kind of dangerous, but they all just ended up playing because they were like, hey, we're going to play. And they're like, all right, I'm going to play. Seems like in America, a lot of the players, they have a power and they have, you know, they're at a stature that, they almost seem to sometimes have too much power, but it's also a brilliant thing when you look at things where they can make stances in the world and be of their platform and do things that they do. But at times it seems like sometimes in American sports players have a large power that just sometimes doesn't coexist with the fact that at the end of the day, they're employees. And it's kind of a tough topic because at the end of the day, they're really not employees because they're people that people idolize, but in their simplest sense, they're getting paid to do a job which sometimes they seem to maybe go overboard, but it's interesting to see the MLB because they are literally not even going to get paid to do the job if they agree with some of the things that are happening. Right. And I mean, they're the ones that bring in all the revenue. They're the ones that are, they're, they're essentially entertainers, but they're doing their job and they do it at a very high level. So because of that, they're using their leverage and saying, well, you know, we, we bring in the money for you. You own the team. At that point, you don't do anything. It doesn't matter how well we do our jobs. You make all the money basically from seats and TV revenue. Like we don't get that. So it's definitely tough for them, but they already agreed to take a pay cut earlier on that agreement back in March. They take a prorated deal. So basically it's just a ratio. How many games played is basically you're getting paid for that many games based on your, your signed contract. These players are signed into contracts legally. They can't get out of them, but, the owners are trying to diminish the value of their contracts because they will be losing money, which if you think about it, you, you can't really do that in real life. So it's, it's, it's a st- it's sticky situation is a good way that you put it. Yeah. I mean, I think we're seeing it in tons of leagues. It's not easy to restart from what happened. I mean, this is a completely crazy unforeseen circumstance that you could not have been ready for. And at this point it's really hard to even now that you know what it is, figure it out and get your way out of it. And sticky situation, like we both said at this point, it's just something that you don't really want to see a league have to go through. But this show is about future players, young prospects. Today, Dominic Stern has brought us the one and only Juan Soto out of the Washington Nationals. Give us a little bit, just general facts about this man. What do you think about Juan Soto when you hear his name? Well you got to think of his world series title that he just won for the Washington nationals. One of the biggest pieces of that team. Obviously there were some really good players on that team, but another thing that comes to mind is his Soto shuffle that not a lot of people realize that he did until cause the nationals don't play necessarily a big market. Not a whole lot of people live in the nation's capital And a lot of the people that do, they aren't nationals fans. They, no one, no one's really born in the nation's capital and lives there their entire life. Obviously, there are people that do. It's a lot of people that come in because they're interested in politics. So they bring their fandom from other teams into there. So not a lot of people paid a lot of attention to Juan Soto, even though he's really, really good. He just finished up his second year in the major leagues. 
finished ninth in the MVP after finishing second in the Rookie of the Year, only behind Ronald Acuna Jr., who is a member of your Atlanta Braves. And picking between – when you brought up this idea to me, and I'm like, man, I'm like, who do I want to pick? Because, you know, as bad as baseball is in a position off the field, on the field it's in such a great spot because there's so much young talent. And for me to pick Juan Soto over everyone else was really tough. But you look at his – his last year in 2019, a 282 batting average, which is a stat that doesn't really hold that much significance anymore as baseball turns more analytic. But the 282 batting average complemented with a 401 on base percentage is one of his best things because he gets on base at such a high rate for being such a young player, which is extremely rare. And so for him to get on base four out of 10 at bats is extremely helpful, especially in a deep lineup like the Washington Nationals had. And that's one of the reasons they were super good. And not only does he get on base a lot, he he slugs at an extremely high rate, 548 slugging percentage, which gives him a 949 OPS plus. And, well, sorry, a 138 OPS plus, which if you put him on a bell curve, he's better than, he's 38% better than average, which is unbelievable. I mean, this guy's He's years above what his age says, and he's a pretty average fielder too. You know, that's where his weakness of his game is, but that's because he's so good at the plate. He's so disciplined, and he's just such a rare talent. I mean, he made his major league debut at 19. Only a few players have ever done that. You know, guys like Mickey Mantle, who's considered one of the goats of baseball. Ken Griffey Jr., who is right up there with Mickey Mantle, one of the goats of baseball. Bryce Harper, one of the best players in the MLB right now. I mean, this dude is incredible, and I wouldn't be surprised if he takes it to another level in 2020 if there's a season. Yeah, so you said he he made his debut 19. All of these stats, he's obviously well, like you said, well above the bell curve. Someone that's way better than your average baseball player. Of course, he was nine in MVP ranking. That's, I mean, that's insane, right, for a 21-year-old. Making his debut at 19, this is more of a personal question, but does that mean he came out of high school and then, like, started – like actually ended up playing like the next season? Well, so he signed as a free agent because if you are, if you're born internationally and you're at the age of 16, you are available to sign with any team, you know, for a fairly team friendly contract because these kids coming from, I mean, Juan Soto, he's, he's obviously Hispanic. He's from the Dominican Republic. So, you know, you know, it's, you don't have a lot of money coming from the Dominican Republic. So these teams are able to throw a couple of million dollars at you. And you're like, yes, I want to go play baseball for you. So he was actually in the nationals farm system in his teens. And he worked his way up through the farm system really fast, obviously, you know, only 19 and then the major leagues. So for guys like him that come from these foreign countries, primarily Latin America, they get signed as 16-year-olds, and they're playing against guys that are drafted out of college, drafted out of high school in America. So they're playing against guys that are older than them already. So they get thrown right to the test, and Soto was right there for the prime, and he made his spring training debut in, I think, 2018. And a story about him was that, you know, he, he's this young kid, and he saw a first-pitch curveball in the dirt, and he swung right at it. And the Nationals manager at the time looks over and they're like, what, what is this swing? It was Dusty Baker, actually. They're like, this is awful. What, what a terrible swing. Like, is this kid really the real deal? Same pitch, 
curveball below the knees, and he just smacks it straight back up the middle. And Dusty Baker looks, and he's like, oh, okay, I see what this guy's all about right now. He, he's, he's got he, – like I said, he's far above his age. So talking about him coming up that fast, coming from Latin America from his perspective, Dominican Republic. So that is, to me, seems like a crazy story. You said, I mean, 16 as a free agent going up against people out of college, people out of high school, those sort of players. What, like, percentage – like, if you wanted to put a percentage on that, what percentage of those players that you're saying come from that Latin America area, what percentage of those players actually end up making it? A lot. I mean, because those guys, you don't just sign a random 16-year-old. Like, that That just doesn't happen. These guys are getting high attentions because they go to these academies in the Dominican Republic. Like, it's fairly obvious once they get to, like, age 10, you're like, okay, this guy's going to be good. He's definitely got a future in baseball. And then a lot of the teams are going after him. Like, so, for example, if you look around, like, my room, you can kind of tell I'm a Padres fan. Uh, the Padres were very interested in Juan Soto, but they got outbid by the Washington Nationals, you know, of course. That's just the story of the Padres, just almost there, and then it just it's just a failure. A lot of teams are very interested in these guys, and, you know, they're, it's fairly obvious when you see a guy at 16, you're like, okay, he's going to be very good. So a lot of – I'd say well over 50% of those guys signed at 16 end up making it to the majors. And a lot of them have high success. Interesting. Interesting. So you talked a little bit about it earlier, but strengths and weaknesses, you can start with either one. If you want to start with weaknesses and then go to strengths, either one, Juan Soto, what are his strengths and weaknesses? What do people need to be looking out for them? Well, so I've already mentioned his, (laughs) yeah, I've already mentioned his plate discipline. Like I said, you know, his on-base percentage is over 400 in both seasons, with his batting average being below 300 in both those seasons. So he's drawing a lot of walks. And for him, his the majority of his career, he's been batting after Anthony Rendon, uh, all-star, one of the best players in the MLB. And he's batting before Juan Soto. So he's getting guys on base. And so when when you're facing a guy like Juan Soto and he's on base, you don't want to walk him. You have to pitch to him because if you walk him, now you've got multiple runners on. So the fact that he's being able to lay off these pitches speaks volume because he's getting on base at a high clip with having runners on base. Now, Anthony Rendon is now with the Los Angeles Angels. He just signed a gigantic contract with them this offseason. So we'll see if these stats change any bit this offseason. But the first thing that jumps out to you when you, when you watch Juan Soto play should be the plate discipline. The next thing that I look at is his power. You know, if you watched any of the playoffs this year, he was just hitting home runs left and right, and they weren't like wall scrapers or anything. You know, the game-tying home run in game five of the NLDS off Clayton Kershaw was one of the furthest balls I've ever seen hit at Dodger Stadium. The home run in, I believe, game one of the World Series that he pulled all the way into the back row of the upper deck in Houston was unbelievable. And then another thing that he does really well, which is his third strength, is his ability to hit the ball to all fields for power and contact. And another home run in the World Series opposite field in Houston, the Nationals, they won all four of their games in Houston, which had never been done before. He just has the ability to do everything at the plate, and it, he's such a tough out, and that's what makes him one of the best players in the MLB. And so what about weaknesses? You talked a lot about his, you know, his strengths. You did talk a little bit about him being kind of maybe an average fielder. And then you have a little bit about his speed. So what, what about those do you think maybe 
are bad at this point and what of those can he like improve at? Yeah. So I, weakness is a relative term when you're talking about Juan Soto and the two things that his weaknesses are. And I say that with quotations are his fielding and he, he's an average fielder. You know, you watch him, he doesn't have a great arm, you know, he doesn't have great range, but he makes the plays that he should make. And that's all you can ask for out of a left fielder that crushes the ball like him. So it's not really a weakness. It's just something that he could improve on. You know, guys like Tony Gwynn, you know, former Padre, uh, they were not good fielders early on in their career. But as they played more in the game of baseball, they worked more and more at their weaknesses. And then all of a sudden that became one of Tony Gwynn's strengths. I'm not saying this is going to happen for Juan Soto, but that's just an example. If he works at it and, you know, using this time off, he could definitely become an above average fielder. You know, he was a finalist for the Gold Glove Award in left field, but if you're like me and you pay any attention to who wins these Gold Glove Awards, they don't always go to the best fielder. Some of the people who get nominated for them, like Juan Soto, really shouldn't have been nominated. The Gold Gloves are kind of just like an award that gets handed out. It's like, all right, cool. Like, he won a Gold Glove. That's cool. Uh, But another weakness, like I said, it's not really like a weakness. It's just something he could get better at is speed. You know, you're not really going to get faster at this point, but that's something that he he lacks in or doesn't lack in. It's just not one of his strengths is his speed, which definitely carries more uh, carries more of a weakness into his fielding. Like if he was faster, he would be a much better fielder. Okay, interesting, interesting. So obviously you're saying he's an exceptional player. Weaknesses kind of, but they're just parts of his game that maybe aren't elite like some of his other parts of his game are. So let's talk right now in right present future, uh, maybe depending on what happens, like we talked at the beginning of the show, who knows if there even will be a season, but with the first season, not with Anthony Rendon, what are your expectations for that first season without him? What are, what are the nationals looking like as a team and what will he be able to do with that team as well? Well, so the Nationals definitely, I think, should take a small step back. You know, it's very tough to defend your title as is. But when you lose a player like Anthony Rendon, you're really going to be at a disadvantage. And so with Anthony Rendon being out of the lineup, Juan Soto is now the premier bat in the Washington Nationals lineup, which is hard to believe when you look at those stats that I already mentioned. He wasn't the the premier bat in their lineup. Now he is. So I'd expect more pitchers to work around him. And already with the great plate discipline that Juan Soto has, I would expect his on-base percentage to keep going up. And, you know, this could affect his average and maybe his slugging percentage going down. But if you can bat guys like Trey Turner and prospect Victor Robles, Carter Keboom in front of him, and they can get on base in front of him, that can give him more opportunities to see pitches. So his slugging is going to have more his slugging and his average are going to have more impact on guys getting on base in front of him and guys who are hitting behind him, hitting, hitting Juan Soto in like in other opportunities. So that people say, all right, we, we have to try and get Juan Soto out. We can't just like pitch around him and hope that he maybe chases because that's something he's not going to do. So his on-base percentage is going to go up. How his other stats vary? It'll, it'll more depend on some of his other teammates and if they step up or not. Uh, I would expect some of his his defense to improve over time, like I mentioned. I think that's something he needs to work on, not because he's bad at it, but because he doesn't really have a whole lot more to grow in his hitting game. But in his fielding game, I definitely feel like 
he could improve there. And if he puts some work into it this offseason, which I'm sure he did, he could be a Gold Glove candidate in the future. Nice, nice. So one thing you also have down here, which we can kind of segment into another question, is you think he's going to be the face of their franchise, which off of what you said already, it's, I mean, off what people have seen, it's pretty clear that that's kind of the way that they're going as an organization, as a team. What do you think you see from him in the future as the face of a franchise? So it seems pretty obvious that you would think that he's deserving of this face of the franchise. He's going to step up to that role. What do you see in the future? How does he handle the pressure maybe of being the face of a franchise? And what does he bring Washington Nationals to do personally? Does he maybe win a couple MVPs along the way? Does he win World Series? What kind of what do you see his you know career panning out to be? Well, I don't think the pressure should phase him at all. If you if you've ever watched him, he he came up in the wild card game, which was you know a winner die, uh, winner go home game. You know first game of the playoffs, bases loaded. He's facing the best left-handed relief pitcher in all of baseball. And it's not even close, Josh Hader. And he just got a one, one pitch and he just drove it right into right field and the game winning run scored, you know, that, that winning run came off an error, but that really sparked the nationals playoff run. So I don't think there's really any pressure on him. You know, he, he seems like the type of guy who can just brush off all the attention and just go out and play baseball. So I don't think that's going to be a big deal. He was my prediction for the 2020 NL MVP now with the shortened season, I might, you know, away from, I don't know why I would, but there's guys like Bryce Harper who just always start off really hot. And I think guys like him could, could use a shortened season to their advantage in winning an MVP. So I might, I might lean a different direction from Juan Soto, but he's definitely a guy that I would be shocked if he doesn't win an NL MVP. There is a lot of young talent in the national league, so he can't like wait around too long to win the MVP, but he's definitely in a position where he can win that, Right now, you know, the Nationals, they're they're kind of in a tricky spot because they just let Anthony Rendon go, but they still have Max Scherzer for a couple of years. They just signed Steven Strasburg to a nice big contract, and they still have Patrick Corbin on a contract, and they, they boosted their bullpen this offseason. They still have a couple of bats in the lineup where you're like, okay, you know, these guys could go either way. They could They could have a 2019 season that they had, but you could easily see them not performing to that level. Like guys like Howie Kendrick, I wouldn't expect them to have the same type of year they had last year. Same with Ryan Zimmerman. But the Nationals are in a position where if there isn't expanded playoffs in 2020, we've seen a uh, possibility of eight or seven teams in each league making the playoffs. If that is the case, the Nationals should definitely make the playoffs. They have way too good of a lineup and pitching staff to miss the playoffs in that big of a playoff field. But if we have the typical five or six teams in the playoffs in each league, they're going to be right on the edge in a very tough National League East. And the East is going to be tough for a couple more years. So their championship window might be closing, but Juan Soto will be a Washington National for a long time. Awesome, awesome. So Juan Soto seems like – I know there's, there's those guys in, in sports in general. There's the guys that step up to a plate, like you just said, win or die situation that – either can handle it or they can't, you know, it's kind of, it's one or the other people either have it or they don't. And Juan Soto seems like he has it from of course already winning a world series. Is there anything else you think anyone needs to know about Juan Soto who as like everyone else I've done in this so far has been kind of a, it's been people that are 
already there. It's kind of a future and a now so far, the people that I'm saying, but if they haven't already seen it, is there anything else you think people need to know about Juan Soto? Uh, he's just a gamer, you know. He he likes to go out there and he has fun, and that's exemplified by his Soto Shuffle. And if you hate the Soto Shuffle, you you hate fun. And if you hate fun, then I most likely hate you. You know, there's been the same thrown around baseball, let the kids play. And part of letting the kids play is when if you throw an off-speed pitch to Juan Soto that looks like a strike and it breaks out of the strike zone and he picks it up, you can expect to see him shuffle at you and then shuffle back. He, he's got that he's got that swag. He's got that mentality that I don't care if I'm 21 years old. I know I'm better than you, and I'm going to show it. And he showed it last year. And he even showed it when he was 19. He's incredible. Nice. Looks like a bright future for Juan Soto. That'll be it for edition four of All About the Future. Thank you, Dom, for coming in today. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I'll hopefully get you guys another edition soon after I get this one out. I'm, of course, like I said, in Alaska, so it's a little difficult doing online school and partially some work. So my schedule is pretty busy, but I am still hoping to do this because, like Dom just said, it is a lot of fun. But I hope you guys enjoyed listening all about the future. I'm Ethan Ryder, and I will see you guys next time. Go Padres.